What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing well. It's good to be back. So I'm going to be doing this should be the final mini episode before we go back to our regular cadence. We just wrapped our final week of How to Work Less, Cohort 5, which went incredibly. And I am taking some time off to hang out. I'm going to be going to some concerts this weekend in Nashville, which is going to be pretty cool. I guess by the time you're hearing this, I will have already attended them and had a great time, but that's what I'm up to. And what we do right now, like I talked about uh, on previous episodes, is I kind of structure my year in sprints, three sprints a year, because I teach the course three times a year, usually in January, May, and September. So we just wrapped in September, and now I'm basically thinking about how I want to spend my time in October, November, and December leading up to our sixth cohort in January. So I always go into these sprints with a very massive to-do list of things that I potentially want to do. And one of the ways that I try to eliminate shiny objects in my life and my business is getting really focused on just a small handful of things that I'm going to work on during the sprint and really removing everything else and just saying, hey, if it sounds like a good idea, write it down we can get to it next sprint. That really allows me to stay focused and just get the the critical few things done. So the reason I'm saying this is we are in the middle of that process right now, that planning process. Most of it's done with just me, um, but as I start to get some insights and some ideas, uh, I'll bring in the team, bounce some ideas off, and uh, there's a lot there. So I recently completed my 80-20 analysis of the business, Work Less, LLC, and there are a lot of really, really interesting insights in there. So hopefully next week, my goal is to start the process of reporting back and dissecting my Q3 sprint planning process so I can share it with you. And hopefully you can kind of take away some ideas about how to implement this in your business. This may end up being a a two-parter or a three-parter, depending on how we structure it, because there are a lot of things that go into it. But I know I'm definitely going to start with just the 80-20 analysis, the financials. I already have some really interesting insights and big decisions about things that I'm going to stop doing, because when you actually see the numbers, um, it's interesting. You, there's nothing, (laughs) numbers don't lie. And, uh, I'm excited to share some of these interesting kind of ideas and insights that I've had from doing this analysis on the business year to date. So that's what's coming up next. But this week I'm going to be giving you another mini one. I wanted to make sure that I had something for you. And I was kind of going through my backlog of all these episode ideas that I've had. And the one that jumped out to me this week is something that I've talked about on social media before, um, but I get a ton of questions about, especially from people who are kind of building their own audience and don't really understand what happens behind the curtain. So I hope that today, maybe in the same way that one of my most popular episodes has been kind of deconstructing working with high-ticket clients, and I'd love to share those same insights with you about big content creators and hopefully (laughs) demystify some of the things behind you know people with big audiences i've gotten to know a lot of people recently obviously i have a decent sized audience myself and i think if you knew a little bit of what really goes on behind the scenes it it would be a little bit more encouraging and you might just realize that there's no (laughs) there's no secret magic and uh a lot of the things that they all have in common 
are things that anyone can do. Um, so that's what I want to share. The topic of this episode is going to be eight secrets big content creators don't want you to know, something I could literally talk about in my sleep. So we're going to jump right into it. This should be kind of a mini one. And then next week, we're going to jump back and uh, we're going to spend some time talking about what are my plans for Sprint 3 and how am I thinking about my business going into next year as well. Okay, so secret number one, and I think probably the most fascinating and perhaps counterintuitive and controversial one, and maybe some of you know this already, is number one, the secret is that they're broke. Many huge content creators, people that maybe you follow with large audiences, make very little money from content creation. Now, this is not everyone. Obviously, there are Plenty of people that have great businesses that rely on a foundation of a big audience. And at least with YouTube, for instance, once you get to a certain size on YouTube, you can at least rely on AdSense monetization uh, to, to make up for not potentially understanding much about um, monetizing your audience. Um, so if you look at YouTube, for instance, you at least... If they're at a million subscribers or you know high six figures, you at least know they're making some money, and all they have to do is keep posting videos to get that. But AdSense is uh, not what it used to be for sure, and it is not as reliable. And I don't think you know you can rely on AdSense to build your entire business. But I really want to talk more about this kind of area where it's folks that I you know are in my network, or people I know, people I'm aware of that have a great audience. So I'm talking six-figure followers, whether that's on Instagram or Twitter. And um, what people assume is that if you have six figures of followers on social media, you're making money, right? Like they just assume that success in social media equals financial success. And I think that's really the big mistake that people make. And there's a lot of reasons for it. The quote that I love is from this dude on Twitter named JK Molina. And his catchphrase is, likes ain't cash. And uh, the key lesson here is that the skills that you need to grow an audience, they're really important. And growing an audience is a valuable skill, but it is a completely different skill to understand how to monetize that audience and turn the attention that you've captured into a business that works and that solves people's problems and that actually makes money. Most of the people that have, you know, the six-figure following but really haven't made it in terms of bringing in a ton of money, they're probably doing things like renting out their audience to other folks um, through things like, you know, affiliate marketing or, you know, ads every once in a while. Um, but it never really hits that momentum point where it's like, hey, this is a business of, in and of itself. Because you would assume six figures in followers, you would hope they're making six figures in income. Um, but it's a completely different skill. And I think that this is one of the biggest myths that people have is that large audience, okay, you definitely, you definitely are making money. And what I've learned is that is a completely different skill to monetize. And sometimes you end up in a situation where the reason why people are unable to monetize their audience is there are certain topics that 
are what I consider to be like high growth topics. So if you post a bunch about, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Well, here's a really easy example, right? If you post memes, it is very difficult to monetize memes, um, but it is very easy to build a large audience doing it. Um, and there are people with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers who are basically making nothing posting <laughs> posting memes and I'm, I'm sure they have a good time while they're doing it, but it doesn't ever turn into a business. And the same thing can come across the board with topics like, um, I'm trying to think of some like basic, like basic business information, inspirational quotes, um, productivity hacks, right? There are a bunch of topics that people love and they love to read about, but it doesn't necessarily translate into like a differentiated business. So you can grow super, super fast talking about this stuff, but it doesn't mean that you build the trust necessary for people to potentially want to spend any money with you or work with you in a business capacity. Now, the really interesting thing and why it's it's so funny is the monetization is a separate skill. And I also know people who have, you know, a couple thousand followers who are making more money than I am. And I think that that's always just as important of a lesson is that if you really understand the sales skills and the monetization skills and you're really dialed in with like who your ideal customer is, you don't need a huge audience <laughs> in order to make money. And uh, I think it's just such an important lesson to really understand. And the key secret here is that the correlation between a large audience and monetizing is not nearly what people assume it to be, okay? So that's the number one lesson. I think that's the big the big elephant in the room. So if you see a big page, don't assume that they're doing any better than you are. All right, I, that's just that's just my take. Number two, this is a really interesting one. And maybe if you knew this, um, you would maybe feel a little bit less bad about how difficult it can be to grow an audience over time. And what I have seen across the board, and listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think that this is the game and social media is business like anything else and networking is a huge, huge part of it. But big content creators tend to work together and it is not in any kind of like nefarious secret way. Um, although I guess there are some elements where people have like, you know, engagement groups and stuff like that, um, or they, they hook each other up. But the difference between a person with 2,000 and 200,000 followers often isn't the quality of their content. Um, the same way that I talked about in previous episodes, how the best practitioner, the best designer, the best artist, the best uh, provider is not necessarily the person that makes the most money. The difference between a person with 2,000 and 200,000 followers, they could have the same kind of quality level of content. Uh, the difference is often their network. And what I've seen time and time again is that people with big accounts work behind the scenes to help each other out. And there's a bunch of different ways that I've seen this play out. Um, things like, you know, private groups where people are in group chats together um, and they, you know, will like each other's posts or share them or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. It's just people don't know that it's happening. 
Um, and as it gets bigger and bigger, it can get super sophisticated. You know, on Twitter for a while, there was a lot of pay for retweets action going on. And uh, that, I, from what I understand, has died off a little bit just due to Elon Musk changing the algorithm to not favor retweets. So now they really favor comments over retweets. Um, but one of the ways that like you saw an account blow up really, really fast is sometimes that they would either know a bunch of people who would retweet their posts. And a lot of times what you need, uh, at least on Twitter or on social media, is you have to hit that critical mass. And if you get five or 10 retweets from big accounts that have 50,000, 100,000 followers, it allows you to get over that hump. And what the algorithm is always doing is it's kind of just testing the content. Um, so, you know, the caveat here is you need to have good content in order for this strategy to work. You know, paying for retweets if your content sucks is not going to get you anywhere. Um, but the way that you see people really grow to big heights is not only is their stuff good or is it it's at least above average um they have a network and they work together with other folks to help each other out and part of this is just a natural cause uh of being online together and seeing other people growing and building friendships and building relationships um, but i do think that it is a big part of the social media skill stack that i think is under appreciated in terms of what it takes to grow. And uh, I, I got to say, personally, myself, you know, I have majorly benefited over the years from getting shared by accounts that are bigger than mine um, or people who just like appreciated what I was posting and went out and out of the way to share it. And sometimes it was literally just like based on the merit of my work alone. Um, sometimes it's like I built a relationship or with someone that I knew from outside of social media. Um, but just know that like social media is social. And one of the ways that you can use that to your advantage is through networking and building relationships. Like now I try to, you know, if I see someone who's growing pretty quickly, I try to build a relationship with them or maybe share their post or their content with my audience or the newsletter if I like what they're doing. Um, so it's not necessarily some super coordinated, like secret elite cabal influencer, <laughs> you know, group, but there is some of that. More often than not, it's just people build relationships and then they want to help each other out. Um, so this is something that people don't like to talk about because it sounds bad, but just know that it is happening often, <laughs> every day. All right. Number three, this should be hopefully a little, uh, a little encouraging. And I've noticed that people tend to fall into two camps when it comes to this one. And, and the big secret and the big myth is that even your favorite content creators were not actually good when they started. Um, everyone sucks when they start. And this is a hard pill to swallow for, for many of us. You basically, <laughs> you have to suck in order to get good. And everyone that you think just came out of the womb, fully formed as an all-star, even your favorite creators posted stuff that was cringe and not good and got three likes when they started. We all start at zero. You're going to be bad at the beginning. Um, I recently had a conversation with 
this wasn't that recent, a couple months ago, coaching call um, with someone who was trying to get started on social media. And I spent a lot of time on that call talking about how there is no way to get to the point where you are good and your posts perform consistently well without being bad. Um, and so often people think like they post a couple of times and it doesn't work out and they're like, oh, I must not be good at this. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, everyone sucks. The only way to get good is to go through the phase of being bad. And like I said, there's kind of two groups that people fall into as far as big creators. Um, I see there's the one group that will actually <laughs> clean up after themselves and they'll hide their old posts eventually so that all you see on their page is their polished, good, you know, super, super popular content. And they just pretend like, oh, I never went through that process. And then the other side of the coin is the folks that keep it up there. And, you know, you can go back at all your kind of favorite creators and see hey, okay, this is what they were like when they started. They were not an all-star from the beginning. Um, I still have my posts up there. You can see my evolution. Um, you know, right now I am at the point where, according to our numbers, I this yesterday I posted my 630th carousel post. Now that doesn't even include reels. Um, but if you go all the way back and scroll back to my page, you can see what my first one looked like. And, uh, you know, it is not world-class by any means. And sometimes creators keep this a secret. I don't know why. Some Sometimes people get self-conscious like, oh, this got no likes or it wasn't good. Or people are going to think it's terrible. So they do a little bit of house cleaning. Um, but the bottom line is they were not good when they started. You will not be good. It is part of the process of becoming good to go through that. All right, number four, 99% of big creators have one thing in common. And the biggest thing that differentiates and separates the people that have large audiences from people that don't is how long they've been in the game. In a lot of ways, content creation is just a game of attrition. And the longer you post consistently, and regularly, okay, it is not enough to say, oh, I've just had a, I've had a social media account for 10 years. Have you posted every single day for 10 years? Um, big creators all have one thing in common. Mr. Beast, he's been posting for 11 years. Chris Doe, he's been posting for nine years. Uh, Marquis Brownlee, who's MBKHB, I can't, some acronym. I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try. He's like the most influential tech YouTuber. He's been posting for 13 years on social media. The majority of success is continuing to show up. And I actually had a reel about this that we posted recently that people really resonated with. And it was just talking about the statistics around podcasts. I think I talked about it on here as well. That like to become in the top 1% of podcasts, you don't really have to do much. It only takes you, I believe, oh my God, now I can't... Uh, See if I can get the statistics for you so I don't botch this. Um, all right, here we go. Get ready for this. 1.8 million podcasters quit within three episodes of posting. Another 180,000 quit by 20 episodes. So if you make it to episode 21, you are by default in the top 1% of podcasters. And I believe that these statistics apply for any kind of posting. 
more often than not, the reason that people become successful is because they don't give up. They're not good at the beginning, but they are stubborn. And often survival is much more important than skill when it comes to this stuff. Now, some people are super skilled um, because they are obsessed with it. And other people, they just stick around long enough that their skill catches up with their ambition. And so if you are like, you know, I've been posting a lot and it's just not working out for me. I don't know. Maybe I just don't have it. You really need to understand that it is a game that is not measured in months. It is a game that is measured in years. I've been doing this for two years. I expect to continue to do this for a long time. And part of that is just commitment to posting on a regular basis and not giving up and continuing to show up and letting all that work you put in compound over time. All right, number five. Oh my gosh, I didn't even read this list. Okay. <laughs> so number five, I literally just talked about in is this idea that you don't have to be good, you have to be stubborn, right? It's just the same idea that you have to show up and commit to posting and sharing content on a regular basis. Big content creators don't want you to know that, you know, 10 years ago they were getting five likes per post and the content just wasn't good. So that's something you have to build out over time and learn the muscle and build the habit of just regularly sharing content. Okay, number six. This is something I feel really strongly about, and you know that I've talked about this on my diversification is a distraction lesson, which was leading right into not building your house on borrowed land and the two sides of this coin. And this was lesson 12. Don't build your house on borrowed land if you want to check this out. I don't know why I'm calling them lessons. <laughs> Maybe I'll start calling them lessons. Episode 12. So big content creators prioritize this over anything because they understand the existential threat of building your house on borrowed land or building an audience on someone else's platform. And especially as you grow and you build a business there, you need to have a plan in place for owning your audience. Because if you lose your Instagram account tomorrow and you don't have any way of contacting these people, all the work that you put in is gone. So if you do not have a plan in place to own your audience, you are essentially renting an audience from someone else in exchange for content. And your number one goal as a content creator is to bring them with you, is to own your audience and own ways of getting in contact with them that have nothing to do with the platform. Obviously, the easiest way to do this and the way most people approach it is with a simple email list. It does not take much to just ask people, hey, hop on my email list. And the beauty of this is it allows you to own your audience in a way where you can literally export their email addresses to a spreadsheet and take it anywhere with you. Okay, so all the big content creators, they are focused, and I've listened to plenty of conversations about this. There is a focus and an obsession on owning their audience and removing them from the platform so that they are in their kind of owned ecosystem. So if you're building a business that is based around social media, whether that is Twitter or YouTube or um, Instagram or TikTok, Whatever it is, your job is to get people off of those platforms and over to, to your side. 
And, you know, people used to say, you know, YouTube is kind of the best for this because, um, you know, people are the most engaged. But what I've been seeing recently and, you know, talking to people about is like the algorithm is becoming more unforgiving on YouTube as well as on every other platform. And for so long, creators felt like, well, if they subscribe to me or if they follow me, um, I am owed that those people are going to see my content. And it's just not the case anymore. You know, I know plenty of examples of big, big YouTube channels where they used to get a certain amount of baseline views just because of the amount of subscribers that they had. And it's just not the case anymore. You know, the same way it's happened over time with Instagram, where posts are only showed to like single digits sometimes of your followers, especially as you get bigger. YouTube's doing it too. And, you know, everyone, for better or for worse, is taking things out of the TikTok playbook and showing people, you know, what they their algorithm considers to be the most likely to keep them watching as opposed to just who they follow. So the only way to fight back against the algorithm is basically to own your audience. And that is what a lot of big creators are talking about. All right, number seven out of eight. There will never be enough content. And we talk about this a lot in How to Work Less. Um, in one of our lessons called Solopreneur Systems, I break down kind of the marketing strategies that I have followed for both of my businesses, uh, the agency as well as this business. And for this business, the marketing basically revolves around at the top of the funnel, um, building an audience on social media and posting regularly. But you need to set an upper limit for what your definition of done for content is because there will never be enough content. You can always post more stuff. You can work 24 seven and you can still squeeze out a little bit more juice from the lemon and the algorithm will still work. So what we do is get really clear about defining an upper limit for what is done for content. And in my business that has shifted over time. I think right now what I'm kind of gravitating towards is a post every day on Instagram but they are different types. So it's going to be probably like two to three long forms. Um, so like in-depth threads, um, two to three of this new format that I'm experimenting with, which I call like short, I don't know what, I, I need to come up with a name for it. It's basically like individual single tweets, but consolidated into a car carousel. Um, and those have been doing pretty well. I'm experimenting with that new format and then two reels a week. And that's kind of the definition of done. And once we meet that goal internally with my team, um, that's it. There's nothing else has to be created from there. And the big mistake that people make and what you see is burnout is, is really, really real. Um, and if you don't define an upper limit, when you stop, you will burn out too. Um, so it's a key lesson is you need to know that there's just never going to be enough content, which leads me right into the last one. And having done this for two years, and I don't even consider myself to be an expert on this. I, I think there's levels to this stuff. And I'm kind of a <laughs> still a young buck at two years into social media. Um, but what I've seen in my two years is people come and go. 
and it's sad. I see people blow up, they burn bright, and they burn out, and they just disappear. And, you know, they have a nice little audience that they've started building. I start kind of building relationships with them. They get to 10K, 20K followers, and they just can't keep up. Um, and they burn out and they give up. And this is something that I've talked about, you know, with folks who've been doing content for a decade is burnout is part of the story. Um, it is essentially impossible with very few exceptions to produce high quality in high quantity forever. And everyone hits the wall eventually. I mean, I've even experienced it myself where sometimes I feel like, like, what else do I have? <laughs> what else do I have to say? And uh, it doesn't last long, fortunately. Um, and when you take a step back, inspiration usually tends to come fast and easy. But um, one of the ways that you can avoid burnout on social media and you know what i've talked about with other folks is number one investing in systems um, one person creating high quality high quantity content forever is impossible eventually what you need to do is start to create systems to support you whether that is delegating pieces of the puzzle um, we talked about you know my delegation process on this podcast in episode, let's see what number this was. This was episode six, seven systems I'm using in my business. And I actually talked about exactly how I handle the delegation process for my content, where basically all I have to do is write and then everything else is taken care of by my team. So that's one of the ways that you can reduce burnout is removing yourself from pieces of the puzzle with systems. Um, you can obviously use tools to do this as well. Things like scheduling software are low hanging fruit for a lot of people. Hiring video editors, if you're creating content, that's a huge one. I know uh, Ali Abdal talks all the time about how the first expenditure you need to make if you are serious about YouTube is hiring an editor because it frees up so much time. And you will never compete with the best editors out there if you are a creator. Even if you think you're the best, there are people that are obsessed with editing and they, they love it more than anything else. So investing in systems and delegation is great. Um, one thing that I love to talk about because it really fits with kind of my mindset is this idea of reposting and resharing past content that I think people don't do enough, whether it's just reposting something you did six months ago directly or remixing it or rewriting it or taking a piece of content that performed well on one platform and remixing it for another one. Um, if you've been doing this for a while, you have a backlog of a lot of content that you can repurpose. And for me, even when a post does well, I'll be lucky if 20 to 30% of my followers see it. So if I have like a banger viral hit post, only 20 to 30% of my followers are going to see it. Sometimes it's a bit higher, but now with the algorithm, it's more likely that it's gonna go viral with people outside of my followers as opposed to the people that follow me. And the key lesson here is just knowing that like it's okay to post content that you've already shared or just remix it or repurpose it. Um, we spend a lot of time creating it and sometimes it feels like a slap in the face to just post it once and then never get anything else out of it again, especially if you put a lot of time into the content like I do. Um, so that's another big one when it comes to burnout. And I know big creators that I've talked to have a lot of systems in place for repurposing and remixing and kind of working with other folks in order to implement that stuff. 
Last thing when it comes to burnout is you need to take breaks. You need to step back. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And I will see people that never really make it to the promised land, so to speak, because they try to sprint the marathon. And that's when burnout happens. And you really need to take a step back and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I creating? What is the goal here? What does this help me build? And, you know, I always love talking about kind of designing your life um, and then building a business to support it. And the way that I think about creating content is, you know, I want to be able to help people to get to where I am or even surpass me. And I also want to live a good life. And for me, that means setting an upper limit on how much content is enough and being okay with it. And if you're feeling the burnout right now, the good news is motivation always comes back. The best way to solve it is usually to just take a quick step away. Um, one of the more, I don't want to say egregious stories, but one of the more memorable stories that I know of um, is a content creator that I was really a huge fan of and I thought was awesome. Her name is Vanessa Lau. And she really kind of paid the ultimate burnout price where she over the last six months has basically been on an indefinite social media and content creation and business sabbatical. You know, she sold her fancy cars, downsized in every way possible and was basically like, I'm so burnt out that I need to quit my business and social media completely. And, you know, this is a sad truth. She was really transparent about it. Um, I think I shared some of the information about it on Work Less Wednesday a while back, but you can look it up. Her name's Vanessa Lau. And, uh, you know, she wrote like kind of a long post about the thought process behind it. But what you don't see is a lot of big creators are feeling the exact same way and they don't verbalize it and they don't share it online. And I think, unfortunately, the only way to come to balance with a business that is built around something as unforgiving as social media content is to burn out a handful of times before you figure out, all right, what does balance actually look like here? So that's it, folks. Um, Hopefully you found this valuable. I really wrote this lesson because and, and wanted to share all this stuff. One, because I just know a lot of big content creators and you'd be shocked at the things that are going on behind the scenes that you'd have no idea from just looking at a page. They're all regular people just like you and me. I guess I'm one of them. I'm a regular person. Um, the day-to-day is generally not what it seems like on social media. Um, I also want it to be kind of more encouraging and transparent if you're thinking about kind of trying to build an audience and go down this creator route. What are some of the pitfalls? What can you expect? Because um, there's nothing worse, right? <laughs> I mean, the perfect example is there's nothing worse than saying, you know, I want to start and become a big content creator so I can make a ton of money only to build this huge audience and then realize you don't know anything about making money. (laughs) And then having to start from scratch to figure out that skill. Um, So if I can at least help you there, you just need to understand that like there are two complementary skills you need to work on. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope this was super, super helpful. Uh, I'm kind of chilling out, taking the weekend and the week off here decompressing, hanging out after how to work less. Um, I'm going to be spending next week thinking about what's next for Sprint 3, and I will be reporting back with you 
on my insights, ideas, and thoughts and how I kind of approach planning my business. So hopefully you can take some ideas from that and find out a little bit behind the curtain on what I'm up to. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. As always, drop me a five-star rating if you found this stuff valuable. It really, really means a lot and helps me to have more people hear this. You can also share it. And uh, if you are interested, as always, in How to Work Less, which is my flagship course, um, the reviews from Cohort 5 are trickling in. And I got to say, they are truly, truly exceptional. Um, we had a great group and people people really dug it. So if you want to get on the wait list for Cohort 6, which is in January, you want to start your new year off right, you can join at learn.howtoworkless.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with more good stuff. All right, I will catch you soon.